You're listening to The Hour with Resident Advisor. The Hour! This, this, this is this, The this, Hour. You're listening to The Hour. This is The Hour. With Resident Advisor. Hello and welcome to The Hour. This is RA's blend of documentaries, discussion, interviews and lots of other things besides. My name's Martha, I'm the producer of The Hour. Coming up on this month's show, resident advisors, review editors, Matt Unicombe and Ray Philp and RA contributor Emma Robertson will be discussing some of 2018's key records so far. But we begin this month's show by looking at the artist's life on the road and more specifically, how they occupy themselves in the countless hours between shows. Angus Finlayson spoke with Caitlin Aurelia-Smith, Nabia Iqbal, Martin, Zier, and Nathan McKay, the artist formerly known as Buana. Angus is now going to explain what got him thinking about the subject. When we think of our favourite musicians, we often imagine them doing what they do best, performing. We here at Resident Advisor expend countless words and hours of podcast time discussing what happens when an artist steps up on stage or into the booth. But for most musicians, these crucial moments are only part of the story. A set might last an hour or two, but it can bring with it days spent in airports, hotel rooms and unfamiliar cities. The busiest DJs might spend more time on the road than they do sleeping. So how do they fill all this time? Are there things they always read, watch or listen to on planes and trains or places they try to visit in every new city? With a helping hand from RA's producer, Martha Pazienti Caden, I went on the hunt for tips and insights. Let's start with travel. My name's Nabiha Iqbal and I'm a DJ, producer and radio presenter from London. One thing that I always do when I'm on the plane, which might sound weird, is that I only watch the flight map. And yeah, like a lot of my friends are just like, what is wrong with you? But to be fair, I just, I just find it so interesting to know like what the altitude is and if there's a headwind or a tailwind and the max speed and to know exactly where we are. And if there's no clouds, then you can look out of the window and kind of see what the terrain looks like and then match it up with where you are on the map. And I know it's like super geeky, but it really is my favorite thing to do. And it's like the year before last, where I, was, I did a lot of traveling after my last record came out. And I remember in that year, I went on 51 flights. And on every flight, I was just watching the flight map and didn't really take advantage of any of the movies or anything. <laughs> Maybe I should have. But no, I always go to the flight map, always. Martin, a Dutch producer and DJ living in the US, regularly crosses the Atlantic for gigs. I wondered if he listens to music whilst on the road. Sometimes, but nothing sort of, you know, remotely related to music I play or music that I make. And I also don't make any music on the road because um, I just can't, you know, do the sort of laptop thing like that. So so you're never tempted to use that time to go through promos, uh, organize your music for DJing or anything like that? No, 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 never. <laughs> I don't know. I just, um, I think... First of all, I think it's much better to do that sort of stuff at home before you actually start traveling. And uh, second of all, I don't know, it just, it just stresses me out when you're sort of always in work mode in a way. You know, it's much nicer to just sort of step away from it and just be in work mode when you need to be, which is during the gig. I asked Caitlin Aurelia-Smith 
if there's something in particular she likes to read or listen to whilst traveling. I read a lot and I like to write a lot. So I usually bring, um, right now I have four books with me. I like to like read a few sentences and then close it and think about it for a long time and then write about it. So I like to bring um, a few different books that that are, I don't know, I guess I'm like magnetized towards and then I'll open up a page and just read a sentence and then try and connect it to what I'm thinking about and uh, build off of that. That's a really fun thing for me. Is it always things that relate to your music? Um, No, it can be anything. And I like to try as much as I can to keep my mind very open to to what kind of stands out and bold to me each day and then just follow those rabbit holes of whether it's like what what actually happens to your body when you exhale or like what does the queen do in England or like what are the different currents in the ocean and like how do currents work or it's just kind of like anything someone says if there's like a moment where it feels like it's in bold then then I like to follow it and usually it will somehow end up connecting to what I'm learning about that day and like what I'm going to write about. I've perfected the narrow space between the bed and desk hotel workout at this point. Here's the Toronto-born, Berlin-based Nathan McKay, formerly known as Buana. As well as being a producer and DJ, he also works as a personal trainer. And he told me about bringing his fitness regime on the road. I do what's called a high-intensity interval training workout. So it's spurts of high energy with short little rests in between that you can do in really tight spaces. And I'm sure I annoy you know, my neighbors or the people below me with a lot of jumping around, but it definitely is a good way to kill time and also get you ready for the night ahead. What about when you're not, for whatever reason, doing something active? Um, I gather that you, you're learning Japanese at the moment. Yeah, so I have my uh, little book, Genki. I'm on Genki 1. I'm still kind of a beginner. Yeah, I bring that everywhere with me. If I have a few moments, even in the airport sitting down, I'll generally just take it out and try to practice writing kanji or something like that. I find the writing of Japanese characters to be unbelievably relaxing. I mean, I'm sure many people are the same with sketchbooks. They bring sketchbooks everywhere and just zone out and practice their craft. Not that I'm anywhere near proficient in kanji calligraphy. Does it make you feel good to feel like you're, you know, you're progressing in something or you're doing something kind of constructive with that time? Absolutely. I mean, travel, it's not a time waster because obviously it's a means to an end uh, to get somewhere. But I marvel at people who can just go in airports or planes and they don't look at anything. They don't do anything. But yeah, at least I'm doing something. I mean, sometimes if it's the second gig in a weekend or I'm on a long flight, I'll just zone out to the Netflix. I mean, it's good to at least feel like I did something in that two hours where I get to an airport early. I should preface this by saying I never had a smartphone until about a year ago, just out of principle, and then I got one. And though I don't have many apps, I realized you could now download Netflix onto your phone. And so I'm watching tons of stuff. Are there particular kinds of program that work really well for the zone out that sort of help you to shut out that, you know, slightly alienating plane or airport environment? Yeah. I mean, a good example was I played in in Italy last summer and it was particularly late gig and a particularly early flight and I was just so dead and I started watching the OJ Simpson murder crime drama and I knew nothing about the story since you know I'm Canadian it totally just engrossed me and made that flight fly by things like that can help Nathan mentioned that killer combination of the late set and early flight I sat down with Berlin's Zio, who shared some techniques for keeping travel stress under control. 
what you were saying to me before was kind of about how when you travel for gigs, you're mostly thinking about keeping sort of exhaustion and stress to a minimum. Would you say that's accurate? That is accurate, for sure, yeah. So did you find that when you were traveling for performances, these sorts of things were getting out of hand? No, not as much as I think is like when you start traveling on a regular basis like this. Like I, I mean, I was before always on tours and vans like forever. So right now it changed to like me on an airplane. So I think technically it's like it starts with like leaving the house on time and like how to get to an airport. And sometimes I was just like sweating so crazy in the bus because I'm like, oh my god, I'm gonna miss my flight, and like this is really stressful. So right now I'm just like trying to, first of all, take a cab because I'm lazy, but also because it's so much more relaxing. And then like I know how much time it takes to get to certain airports. Yeah, to just like be on time, like first rule, I think. At the airport, I try to um, sneak through security in a easy way. Like I wear clothes that don't beep, for example. I try to like pack my suitcase so I have my computer and my liquids like really easy to like take out and like be just like really quick and my shit. Sorry, quick question. What what kind of clothes beep and which ones don't? That's not I think the metal. Okay, yeah, of course. So everything that doesn't have metal plus like sneakers and stuff. I fi- like I figured out once I'm just like sometimes flying to a place and then in the end of the night maybe I have like a drink or two and I'm really just blurry in my mind and like in kind of some sort of a haze and I then try to research what flying does to a body and stuff like that. So I think one of the like tricks they said was like be hydrated. So I try to really drink a lot. And it also said like if you're a little bit dehydrated or like even a little bit hydrated, um, it fucks you over being up in the air and like mm. the pressure and stuff like that. Yeah, trying to be hydrated, that helps definitely. And also, I mean, wear earplugs. The earplugs are they for shutting out the noise or they no they're just like for after 20 years i was smart enough to finally make the decision to get like proper earplugs and now i'm a little bit like oh why didn't i do that earlier but they do something on the plane like they filter it out all of like all together it's not like noise cancelling headphones or something which i haven't tried you know you arrive in a place where you have a gig you check into the hotel and then you have a few hours before whatever maybe the dinner or before you go to perform what do you do in that time I actually think a nap really helps. If I have the time to go sleep again, I will do it. And also, I'm going to try to prevent to be at the venue too early before I play. I think all together it's all like circling around, keeping up energy in general. I lose my energy if I'm like at a venue too relaxed even. Like it doesn't like I, I think I play better if I'm really stressed. I think I need to have like some sort of tension being able to play well. Being at a venue five hours before you play is really deadly, I think. I wondered what our artists get up to if they have a chance to explore the cities they're passing through. Here's Caitlin. I usually walk around or do some research to find like a park or um, some sort of nice like outdoor area. Depends on how much time I have to, to research it, but but definitely always walk around and like get a feel for what the energy is like in that place. My mindset is like trying to bring awareness to to what I can learn from it each day and especially watch like how my energy is reacting with the new place. I like to get kind of the four different perspectives from it 
of like, what's my individual reaction that's like internal? And then what is like the interaction of me in this place? What is this place, like the community feeling? And then like, what is the community feeling in perspective of the last place I was and the place I'm going to go to and like kind of the overview. I like to observe what's going in and what I'm putting out and try and be mindful of it. The record shopping thing is big for me. Here's Martin. When I used to play out a lot and uh, would use Serato and I wasn't really sort of interested in buying a lot of vinyl, um, I never really went record shopping that much anymore. And um, I really missed it. And also I noticed that, you know, as soon as I would go record shopping, I would always be able to sort of talk to owners or people that were selling records that could sort of give me a little bit of an insight of, you know, what people are interested in, what people are buying. Um, you know, I just make more personal connections with people um, also in regards to my label and, you know, to know where my music is going and who buys it or if people buy it at all, you know. And um, I noticed that that was actually um, something that um, uh, was really sort of gratifying. And um, I started to spend more time in record stores and that sort of turned into full-on, you know, digger <laughs> mode. Um, and especially the last couple of years, I, you know, I literally look up before I go to, to a certain city, especially if it's a newer city, um, you know, where the record shops are, what kind of stuff they have there, and then just sort of pick one or two that I really like. And just, uh, yeah, and just spend the afternoon there, you know. And um, it's actually, um, it's funny because sometimes I ask promoters as well, you know, what are the good record shops? And they usually give me, um, you know, a more, you know, like an answer about, I don't know, a record store that sells kind of current music or like techno store or whatever. Um, but usually it's the second-hand ones that even they never really visit anymore that have all the, you know, the true gems in a way. So, um, so yeah, so it's fun to um, even even to go with locals that don't necessarily go digging all that much um, to see what their, their own record shop in their own city has to offer, you know? I think I think the only thing might add is that um, I have a thing with churches. <laughs> um, I d it's not really because I'm I'm religious at all, but I'm al I've always been really interested in like different religions. And so, if I go to major cities, especially like I said, ones that I've never been before, you know, if I see like a, a cathedral or a big church or something like that, for some reason, I just gravitate towards it and always want, want to sort of take a look inside and see what's going on. And, you know, I also buy a lot of sort of religious souvenirs and things like that. It's funny because usually if I'm with promoters, they're kind of surprised by it because obviously not everyone asks to go to the local cathedral. <laughs> but l like I said, you know, same thing as with the record store. If you just hang out with some people that are local, um, you know, I, I always find it kind of interesting to experience something with them that they themselves don't really experience on a daily basis either, you know, even though it is in their, in their city. Maybe it's more about the spiritual places, you know, just places that are not all business, but, you know, have some sort of spiritual value in a way. 
Maybe it's because a, like a club is also kind of a spiritual place in a way. Even if you go to places like Japan, where sort of a lot of religious sites are in, you know, parks and in forests and things like that, you know, you always have this sort of moment of peace. Although you're in like in the middle of Tokyo, you go into this park and you're in nature, you know. And um, so, yeah, maybe that has something to do with it, you know, just to sort of take a break from airport life and taxis and hotels and things like that, you know, that sort of hustle and bustle feeling. Um, yeah, maybe maybe it has something to do with that. Here's Nabia. One thing that I really enjoy doing if I've got a spare few hours in a certain place is to visit the botanical gardens. I just really love foliage and stuff and like I think that um, being in the botanical gardens can be a nice juxtaposition to the kind of like the hectic club environment and you know of playing shows and things like that. So it's nice to have a few hours where you can just completely decompress and um, I've seen some good botanical gardens actually from traveling. The latest one was in Moscow. Um, it was so cool. It was also the first time I've ever seen pumpkins growing, which, because I'm a city girl, like, I was really excited about that. But the people I was with just were like, just chill out, it's just a pumpkin. And um, in Tasmania, they're really nice. Cape Town, Sydney. It's, it's always interesting in different countries because obviously the um, flora and fauna vary quite a lot and it's nice to see how it's done across the world. Thanks to all the artists who spoke to me for this piece. Touring musicians might be some of the most experienced travellers out there, and they all have plenty to say on the topic. I'll most likely be trying out a few of their techniques myself, next time I'm twiddling my thumbs at the airport. Thanks to all the artists who shared their stories. We're now nearing the end of April, and 2018 has already seen some fantastic music released. As we always tend to mention on this show, electronic music moves extremely fast. So we figured it would make sense to take stock of some of the key releases of the year so far. I'm Matt Unicum, I'm one of the reviews editors at RA. I work in the Berlin office and I look after the singles section. I'm Ray Philp, I'm another reviews editor at Resident Advisor. Um, I work in the London office and I look after the albums. Hi, I'm Emma Robertson, uh, I'm a Berlin-based music journalist and I contribute to RA occasionally. So we're here to talk about some of the big records of the year so far. We'll talk about some albums and we'll talk about some of the singles that we've liked. So, Ray, you reviewed the Bruce Yardy album. Pretty dark, would you say? Uh, yes, in a sense. I really enjoyed it. I found the record really dense uh, to get into, even though it's a sort of 40-minute record, because in each song there's like a very kind of heavy mood hanging over um, this album. And I think that is probably a reflection of um, the sort of both like the tastes of the artist uh, for example she has a radio show called the Dreamcatcher, um which i really enjoyed digging into um because there are like were lots of like um tracks from episode to episode that really gave you an insight into the sort of like musical world she inhabits and i think that those moods um fed uh very much into the album like i, I mentioned i reviewed 
the record in April uh, and I sort of noted that some of the radio show had songs by like Led Zeppelin and Nico, Pulp and you know that kind of like uh, melancholic slightly for like uh, mournful tone kind of like pervaded the album but I think the other thing to note about this album was just the sort of like musicality of it generally a lot of people compare it to um, a lot of 80s sounding genres uh, like cold wave ebm in terms of her the music that she did in the past for komemi and uh, correspondent but um, as mark smith the tech editor recently did a feature with uh, borussiadi um, where she explained that her influence came more from classical music and the baroque period and i felt that was interesting because it sort of showed to me that like um, her music is less about sort of emulating a style you know it's more just for her a sense it's more just about conveying a mood and what I found really impressive about the album was that it was just very musical the sort of melodic and uh, harmonic aspects of it were extremely considered um, more so than than in you know certainly more so than in your sort of typical electronic music album and uh, I found just the way that she stitched all of that together extremely impressive. Pretty, It was a pretty moody record for Kamome, I thought. <laughs> or are they releasing a lot of stuff like this now? Like when I think of Kamome, I think of like Matias Aguayo mm-hmm. and like goofy house slash disco tunes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's a, that's a really good point. Um, I, this is certainly not like a, a, the sort of record I'd expect from that label. Yeah, it's it's an it's an like I think there's always been like a a sort of darkness in the undercurrent of a lot of these records. It's not like uh, I wouldn't necessarily say that Kamemi records are happy happy. There's definitely like a kind of you know some kind of like vibe underneath that that um that speaks to something else. But this is yeah certainly certainly a bit of a left turn from them. Did you like it, Emma? Yeah, I mean, I liked that, as you said, that the melodic elements kind of really stitched everything together. I felt like there was a lot of nice variety within this record in total, but everything sort of felt held together by this kind of like loopy, sort of swirling sounds. Um, And personally, I really loved the vocals uh, on Dormant, especially. I thought it was really nice that the vocals were just kind of like words, like words just kind of coming out and there was a lot of weight to it, but uh, the meaning wasn't quite so like literal, like not really verses, you know, just words. But it was in English. The the words are in English. Yes. Yeah. I I I think you make a really good point there. Um. I liked the way that like her voice is this quite broad sort of flat monotone. Um. A lot of the time, but she managed to kind of convey quite a lot of interesting moods and emotions through that. Um. Actually, there's one track I want to talk about specifically called "Breathe," which uh, I thought was generally fantastic. Um. You know, it's just got this like really dramatic kind of feel to it. Um, there's lots of like complex like textures and melodies going on but then like once she starts singing you know it's it really just kind of locks everything into place and uh felt like you know I was listening to like some incredible cold wave record that like I'd never come across before and you know it just had this like mystery to it um and this like hard to define quality that also made it not really a cold wave record once you actually listen to it you know it didn't really fit that style um and uh generally you know it's, it was definitely my favorite song on the album and you know definitely one of like the most memorable things i've heard in quite a while i thought those two opening tracks really kind of set the pace for the rest of the record like the vocals were quite haunting and it was a bit sort of spooky in its vibe and i think that's like a nice sort of opening to the rest of the record
got Daniel Avery's song for Alpha, uh, ambient slash techno record from pretty well-regarded producer. For me, the interesting thing, it was a, it reminded me of the Steffi record from last year, like a similar kind of mood, like uh, club producer, club DJ turns to like a slightly more intellectual kind of sound. And I really liked it. Just these kind of records, like... Uh, especially compared to, I don't know, more clubby, more clubby albums. It just makes the records more cohesive and like a nicer listen from start to finish. So yeah, I think it was a good move from him. What did you guys think? I mean, uh, so I read the review that Angus did and I really agreed with his description of it as sort of bleary. For me, it's kind of like very morning vibes, a lot of these tracks, like after after hours, morning vibes. Oh, not not on the way to work. <laughs> <laughs> but um, generally, I didn't really like it, to be honest. Like, I thought that it was quite familiar sounding in the sense that, like, I didn't really care to listen to it because I felt like I'd heard it before. Um, like, Sensation, especially, I felt was, like, quite random and out of place. Which and, track was that? That was the kind of faster, more techno-y sound. Yeah, in the middle. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, so when I got to that, I kind of was like, oh, how much is left of this record for me to listen to sort of thing. Um, yeah, I mean, I thought it was good, but it lacked a lot of interest for me. Did you like the... My favourite parts were like the acidy kind of... There were a few like acid kind of tracks. More sort of sounding ones I like. Yeah, me too. Generally, I thought that the ambient tunes were quite boring. Sorry. <laughs> That's okay. What did you think, Ray? I think it's one of those records that isn't doing a lot of new things. Um, I certainly think it leans on a lot of like classic sounding uh, ideas. I think it's just executed really well. If you love um, like a certain style of like ambient and or techno, I mean, a couple of records reminded me of Plastic Man and there were, and Angus had noted that there was some William Basinski sort of stuff going on. So I think, you know, uh, if if you love those sounds, you would definitely love this record, and I I found a lot to like about it personally as well. I loved the again the melody the melodies I thought were like really like absorbing. Um, I felt the flow of the album is also really interesting because it's kind of like ebbing and flowing quite nicely from sort of a clubby style to like an ambient record and all the and you know things in between. Um, and you know I, I think one of the things he noted was that this album was inspired by just 
you know this kind of transient life of going of a dj of like going from like gigs to airport car cars and hotels and all the rest of it that doesn't sound particularly inspiring for a record but actually i found you know um this actually seemed to capture that quite well and it has produced some like really good music it's interesting like there aren't so many records uh in dance music where you can see where there's like a a a, an arc that you can really like hear you know usually like it's just a few bangers but this Avery one yeah it starts ambient it's got the techno like uh the techno in the middle and then eases down so yeah exactly um I like as well that he you know um it's clearly a different record and character and tone from Drone Logic his last album um and I think that he's really tried to go for like a different approach is is quite notable and admirable. Somebody commented uh, on the review that it sounds like music to sort of walk around the city to, like you said, this kind of transient sound, which I agree with, but personally I don't find that that interesting, you know, like I, I think that's totally apt, but I think it's just like I can think of a lot more interesting ways to describe music and like ways that I would like to listen to music. Have you listened to much of his past stuff? No. It's his past stuff is way more like uh, energetic and I don't know it's like techno but it's it's got a pretty unique sound when he produces uh, dance music. It's like how would you even describe it? Like it's like techno with like I don't know it's all these zapping synths and like yeah it's a very for me I find it like a pretty unique sound. Yeah, I mean I guess for me um, there's probably like some root in like. Um, like you know, synth pop records and and possibly even like a sort of shades of the electro clash thing, um, but like it's definitely you know it's definitely sort of far removed from both of those things. You wouldn't I wouldn't readily associate Daniel Avery's music with either of those like um, either of those genres. Mm. But yeah, I mean that that all gave his like um, his like previous records like a really interesting like sound and um, but you know I, th- I think his like what he's done on this album kind of moves on from that uh, quite a lot like it's it's all you know as you say it's a bit it's a bit um it's not quite as energetic and it's sort of flows much more smoothly i guess
right, so next we've got Alvinoto and his latest, you know, I guess, how many albums has he made by now? It's got to be like... Far too many to count. <laughs> yeah. And it's called Unicave. I don't know, how do you uh, how do you pronounce this one? I... The requisite pronouncer of things. <laughs> I, I tentatively bet Unicave, but it's uh, we need to ask Karsten Nikolai to confirm. <laughs> and you really like this one, right? Yeah, I did. Um, uh, it's not often that, like... A straight up techno album gets me really excited, um, uh, but I've found a lot to like about this. Uh, I, I'm a fan of Alvanoto's music anyway, um, and I really liked this because it just combined like his sort of signature, like clicky, uh, ultra minimal sound design with like a really interesting array of like uh, techno uh, like beats, and um, I think. Uh, you know, another thing that impressed me about this record was that I wouldn't necessarily, th- I don't necessarily think that a lot of people think of Alvinoto and think banger, but there's a track on there called um, Uni Blue that I think fits that description quite well. Really anthemic, um, really kind of um, really interesting element. It's got this electric guitar thing going on that is um, like really cool and a bit like out of his usual realm. Um, and I generally just found the album from start to finish an extremely enjoyable experience. I thought so too. Uh, I really liked it. Um, but I thought it was like sort of easy to forget about the other two records in this series, so I kind of went back and listened to them, and I think that the kind of uh, journey or connection between them is really nice, really nicely done. Um, but for me, I felt like the best tracks were the ones that sort of built into nothing, like that didn't really do anything other than just kind of be a little bit ambient, a little bit atmospheric with a little bit of kind of beats in the background, um, like Uni uni Clip and Uni Normal, I thought were both really well done. Uh, and like you said, Uni Blue, I thought was also really great, even though it was a bit more aggressive than I would normally like in a track. I think it was um, like accomplished quite a bit with sort of very little, like it was just kind of glitchy and weird, but also really well done. Um, but for me, I thought the weakest track was uh, DNA, Uni DNA. Um, because I think it reminded me a bit too much of like stuff that he's done in, in the past, like U7 from that 2008 record in the series. It reminds me of like old Adam TM songs kind of thing, like quite German sounding with the, like with the vocals that I didn't really love and it felt a little bit dated, but for the rest of the record I really liked it. What would you um, say was the difference between like um, this uh, album and the previous two that you did in the series? I think this just feels a bit more contemporary somehow, like just in terms of production and in terms of like how it actually sounds quality wise, I think is just a bit more today, I guess, if that answers your question. Probably not really. <laughs> yeah, no, I think it does. <laughs> um, another thing I noticed about this record was that, because I listened to the past two as well, and I don't know how you felt about it, but I thought this one was slightly more accessible. Like there seemed to be. Uh, you know some ambient tones that sort of softened the atmosphere of some of the tracks and um you know uh, there were, i think the f- last song on the first album is just like a lot of like white no- noise sort of tones and which felt indicative of i think the direction in which he was going with it like it was it was clearly to me like a more experimental thing even though ostensibly the premise of the series was that it was more dance floor tuned um, but like yeah, I found like this latest one more more like a techno album, you know, like more like a sort of really nice balance between an Alvanoto sound and uh, like a techno record. Yeah, for me, it felt more like music that you could actually play somewhere out versus music that you would just kind of listen to at home or something like that. Body music. 
Yeah, for me, when I think of like Alvinoto and Rustinoten, it's very precise. There's not much melody. Of course, there are some like exceptions, but yeah, this album, I can really see how it's like one of his one of the more successful things from that like camp. Just like lots of like tones and I don't know, like it's very like feeling heavy, you know. So yeah, I also liked it. you make of uh, Donato Dotsi's uh, mindless fullness? I liked it. Cleo's the hit for me. It's like 140 something BPM. Did you notice? Yeah, in like weird half time. But I don't know, I'd love to be at a party where Marco Shuttle plays this, because isn't that the story behind the track? Yeah, like he's yeah. been playing it out for ages, he's the only one that's had it. Yeah, I was going to say, the story. so the story is that uh, Donato and Marco often send each other tunes, and uh, Donato sent these two uh, tracks to Marco, and he's been playing them out, and Donato hasn't even played them himself but apparently uh, Marco is always sort of checking in with him like giving him a kind of report from the dance floor of how they're going and apparently Cleo as you said is like the the hit for sure um, and for me that's the hit too I think it's just it's so hypnotic and weird and like kind of like it's quite fast but also it has this weird kind of like syrupy sort of uh, atmosphere to it that is so trippy I think I also would really like to see him play this for me like it feels like a like it's almost like a clubby I get the same feeling uh, from this as I get from like listening to Voices from the Lake like this like I don't know slightly melancholic trippy big bass line you know of course this is like way faster and way more intense but yeah it's just very emotional techno it's also very like psychedelic and yeah I don't know I I've almost like I like everything Dozzy does but this is especially good and I guess for Marco Shuttle like uh, I haven't yeah I haven't seen him play it but yeah I can imagine like playing this at a party would produce like a pretty big effect 
Maybe tonight's going to be the night. Spazio night of our kind. Oh, really? Could happen. Yeah. <laughs> I probably would. Um, yeah, I, I loved it too. I, I think I'd agree with both of you in, in saying that I uh, really love Cleo. Uh, when I was listening to it, I thought two things. I thought I could listen to this for like half an hour and just not get sick of it. Um, and I also thought like this would be like the perfect track to like sort of like close out some like really long eight hour session at a festival, you know, just like this really uplifting um, kind of sunrise sort of thing. And um, I thought it was really beautiful. It's funny. It's rare that you can, you would think that about a track that's actually so fast and actually so energetic. Yeah, exactly. You know? Yeah, I the, had a closing track written down as well. Yeah. <laughs> Underlined. Yeah. And it's hard for the next guy to mix. At least half the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And the other tune is also pretty trancy. It's got to be one of the most trancy, like, uh, dozzy cuts. This, like, twinkling, uh, you know, it's like twinkling. That's That one just has a straight beat. Yeah, I mean, yeah. nothing really happens in this track, but I really loved this one as well. Yeah. So what do you think about the name Mindless Fullness? Is that Dozzy, like, commenting on, <laughs> I don't know, our society? Seems seems like he's having a dig at the yogis out there. Yeah. The techno yogis. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Surgeon. Like, yeah. You know, surgeon's a yoga guy. So, yeah, that's right. Maybe, maybe they have some beef. Yeah. <laughs> maybe yeah. surgeon will send for him. This has got to be the biggest, well, one of the biggest EPs of the year so far. Peggy Goo Once, out on Ninja Tune. It's the first to release on Ninja Tune for her, right? The f she did one already on Technicolor. This Goo Tracks was on Technicolor, I think, or Goo Talk. It's got to be the most varied, like, Peggy Goo so far. All the rest have just been, like, pretty tech housey, like, atmospheric, like, rolling tunes. But this one, yeah, three very different tracks. Yeah, I've got to say, of those three tracks, like, uh, the hit, which is called It Makes You Forget, uh, I have to say I like that one the least. It feels very of the moment, like this deck mantle summer, like, a blend of, like, house with disco and then, I don't know, some obscure Korean disco tune. So, yeah, I like it, but the other two were the hits for me. And... Most people in the office like Han Yeon, the B2. I liked that one as well. Yeah, uh, with the fat bass lines. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
But for me, I thought in the in this first one, in It Makes You Forget, I thought the vocals were by far the strongest element for me. I thought that was the most interesting. But in this Han Yan track, yeah. I thought it was like, like I really love the vocals as well. And it sort of felt like one of these tracks where you hear it in the club and then you're singing it in the cab on the way home, you know? Yeah, it's just a cool tune, like everything about that track. It's also pretty minimal. It's just the bass line, a few like synth sounds, then her like rapping slash talking. What track did you like best? Or if, if any at all. That's pretty <laughs> presumptuous of me. Uh, no, I, I really like this record. Um, I, I'm i actually a sucker for uh, it, it Makes You Forget because I just, you know, I'm a sucker for great melody and uh, vocal one especially. And, you know, it's just one of these tracks that um, makes you smile and it leaves you with a, like, you know, you, sort of, you can whistle it sort of in your head. And I think that's always like a great sign of a track that has like a, an immediate emotional uh, connection. And I, yeah, I, you know, I loved how um, even though she's sort of trying out slightly different styles, it, there's definitely like a happy, uplifting emotion here, and it feels very much like uh, you know, like a like the sort of thing that she would play in her DJ sets. It's not like um, it, it doesn't feel like sort of like way left, like out of her zone. And mm. uh, I think that's um, you know, obviously she's DJing a lot, and that that feels like a natural uh, thing to observe. I mean, I haven't seen her DJ before. Have you guys? No. 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 Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I barely, I barely knew anything about her like before this EP. Like other than that, she was huge. Well, she'd been making some records um, from about 2016, and uh, so I've I've listened to a fair few of her records, and I think what's what's impressive about this one um, is that um, she seems to have like taken quite a lot of like these classic sounds. You know, there's like there's electro in there, there's house, there's boogie. Um, especially in that electro tune, funnily enough. And she's just kind of managed to make it her own in a way that I don't feel she really achieved on previous records. Like, I actually thought, like, the Goo Talk record was, was pretty decent um, and had been, like, the best one that she'd done. But she she's... I really feel like this, this felt musically more complete. There was just, like, a few more details in there that really kind of gave it that little push from being a good record to, like, a really great one. Um, and I've generally... I've been happy to see like an artist who is like as well as obviously playing more and more gigs each year is like really developing in a musical sense and I think that's been really like it's it's generally great to see artists who are really like pushing that side of things. I've been thinking like I wonder if that's what happens when you link up when like a house producer links up with like a big label it's like all of a sudden just like functional house tracks it's not going to work for them they're not just appealing to DJs they want to make they want to put out songs in a way because like this electro tune, uh, you listen to it, man. Like that, even though like it sounds like pretty laid back, that's a really complex track. Like every few bars is like a little change. Like it builds up and down. Like uh, yeah, it's a very complex track. Uh, and I wonder if that's just what happens when you work with like these high end A and R. Is that they're saying like, okay, we need something like at this point. This hi hat needs to do this. Uh, this baseline needs to go away and come back again. You know, because yeah, it's such a step up from like the last records which are just like cool, functional like house tunes. Like a yeah. step up in a good way, you mean? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. The other tunes are good, but these are just like, um, they're not just DJ tracks, or I think most of the records before have been. Yeah, I'd, I'd go with that. I mean, yeah. I, um, I'd i hesitate to, to, to say that um, it's been a result of like A&R, because it also could equally just naturally be a, 
um, you know, a sort of eureka moment that artists seem to have at some point where they just like unlock this like secret compartment in their brain where all of a sudden things like just fall into place. Um, and you know, that, that was kind of what I was thinking with this record. It was more like, okay, like there's obviously some breakthrough happening here, um, which may or may not be pretty intangible, but like, it's definitely audible. And I think, um, you know, it, it just, I was generally just really happy to see it because I'd been listening to older, like, as I said, or older records. Um, I liked aspects of them and thought there was like a great deal of promise there. And I'm just happy to see that like, she's heading in a direction where that really seems to be being fulfilled. Definitely made me interested to see like what's next from her EP wise or release wise, for sure. There's got another one, but it's back to functional. Like uh, she's got a new one on Phonica. That's all, that's just like, rolling atmospheric house two tr two track oh no one original one remix it's cool but the ninja tune one is yeah. still by far the best and there's i think it's on phonica white so yeah. which would again suggest it's like you know kind of framed as like a straight up dance floor thing respect to the pegatron <laughs> <laughs> one we have is crystal clear the division so this seems to have been like a pretty divisive record in the office um i love it ray what do you think i was on the fence about some of this um i, I think i and a few other colleagues sort of dismissed neutron dance initially as this just sounds uh, really like inspector norse um but actually, as I, as I, you know, uh, I could see that a lot of people loved it. You know, there are also a lot of people in the office that love it. Um, and I think, you know, after having listened to it a few more times, uh, you know, I recognise the differences between them and it's, it, it, it's ultimately unfair 
to to compare them because I think the thing that they have in common more than anything else isn't about like composition or like um, or anything like that. It's it's more just about the mood that they evoke. And I think there are very few re- there are so few records that um, are just purely elated sounding that like it's possible that like anything that sounds like that happy and that like uplifting is you know inevitably going to be compared to like one of the most uplifting dance records ever made um so you know so that that's maybe ultimately where i'm sitting with it right now my favorite track is actually shockzoid um on the b1 i love that just because it's it's actually like a much simpler kind of uh sort of track it's it's just like kind of reminded me of like some synth pop Italo crossover you know it's just like uh, I remember like hearing it on the on the speakers at work and it just feeling like you know just like instantly made me really happy uh, I was like just pumping away, like cheer dancing away to it and um and I felt uh, I, I felt like a, a a much like stronger connection to that to that record and you know I would basically lose my shit if I had to, you know if, if I was listening to that on a dance floor I would be super happy to hear that what do you think, Emma? Who's side you on? Mono? Oh well, uh, did, it didn't do it for me. Neutron Dance didn't do it for me. Sorry, Matt. <laughs> it's just I listening to it. I was like, at first I was like, well, okay, I'm gonna give this a chance. And then there's like 75 breakdowns, all this white noise, and it just didn't feel like. It felt like a lot was going on, but not a lot was happening. If that makes sense, like. I just, it was so many things happening at once and like every so often it'd be like a different track was playing, you know, I just was not up for it. And it was very catchy, I will say, that when I turned it off, I was humming it. But at the same time, I just, it wasn't, it's not for me. I've got to, I've got to say I could also have done without the white noise. And I wonder if it's like the biggest tune that ever released on Running Back. Like, is it the cheesiest ever? But the last Tiger and Woods also had like this white noisy kind of... Uh, thing going on and I wonder if it's just like because of Gerd's he's like a pretty huge DJ now these are the kind of tracks he needs yeah Yeah, it's hard to gauge that Um, but I'd say yeah I mean I don't think there have been many running back records that have been talked up in this way um, or that like have blown up so much Um, but yeah and I mean I think I'm kind of like with you on Neutron Dance in a way because you know thinking like I was I listened to um to it and was trying to figure out just yeah just trying to figure out basically and there's i think there's like um there are quite a lot of focal points there's not one mm-hmm. thing going on there's like there's a there's a there's a there's one type of drum here and then there's like a drum roll here and then the melody comes in and then the bass line that's is, good does this and then <laughs> da, 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 da. Uh, that's that, hard that it's hard and it's it's impressive but it doesn't necessarily make you know it felt like a lot of pyrotechnics going on when I and I don't always feel like f- feel uh connected to that you know I, f- I felt this is a very impressive track you know from a like a maybe like a technical standard or like in in the it was definitely like an ambitious sounding record you know I can I can I can feel the what he's trying to do here um but I just you know I, so, I kind of I kind of like the reason I like Shockzoid in in contrast to Neutron Dance is just like it feels more focused there's like you know it's a it's a bit simpler uh you know and it just felt like it felt less forced ultimately um and uh you know i vibed with that a lot more yeah for me i agree totally with the sort of unfocused thing that you said like i just felt like with neutron dance there's something in it for everyone and i can see why people really like it but for me that just comes off as like 
you trying to fit everything into one track. But I remember that's what you said also. Oh, you said something similar, Ray, when we were first discussing it, saying it felt like too forced or I don't know. Maybe that's what you were hearing, like he's trying to do too much. And I guess that's what that's why Inspector Norse is just a cut above. Inspector Norse didn't need all this, like, uh, in a way it was like a lot simpler. It didn't need all the white noise, it didn't need the crazy breaks. Well, I still like it. <laughs> I'm very happy that you do. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I just, like, respect to Crystal Clear. But he's, he was also working with Gerd Jansen a lot on this tune. I was surprised like, that you liked it, Matt. Like, yeah. <laughs> this isn't like your typical minimal burner. <laughs> I don't know, I just think it's so, like... Yeah, I don't know. I just think it's so unashamedly, like, huge. And compare that, like, and somehow, like, to make a tune like that, only with melody, okay, he's got some white noise. It's not like some big techno booming, really obvious, like, uh, rhythm track. Like, he's done it all with, like, crafty melodies. And I think, respect to him, it's hard to craft, like, to make a melody, like, make melodies like that. It's worth saying that I still found a lot to like about this record. You know, there's, uh, it's like super well produced. Um, I think like the, like the tracks are generally pretty evocative and like, you know, they're really dance floor friendly. And I think, um, you know, it's certainly one of the most distinctive records I think he's done. Um, and I think I would de- definitely be curious to hear where he goes from here because these are basically good tracks. And, you know, especially Shockzoid for me, is like excellent it feels like a dj could play that in all sorts of ways which might make like its arrival in a really unexpected moment even yeah, more special the bass line is so huge like it's still like a rhythm track gotta say it's pretty good for eps so far this year like we've only discussed three like this dozzy crystal clear and peggy goo like there's three huge records in just a few months it's only april yeah <laughs> i mean it's interesting as well because like um the fact that we're talking about like a 145 BPM record and we expect DJs to play it is like a really good indication of where we are. Like, you know, we now expect like these faster tempos um, and I think that's a good, extremely healthy development. Thanks to everyone who contributed to this month's edition of The Hour, and thank you for listening. This is the 24th episode of The Hour, which means that we've been going for two years. So if you've just joined us, then a very warm welcome to you. And if you've listened to every single episode, a special thank you. We'll be back at the end of May with more documentaries, interviews and discussion.